Yo, 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 what's good, everybody? This is Anushan, and you're listening to Ball Might Lie. Howdy, how y'all? Welcome to Ball Might Lie, where the ball might lie, but we don't. I'm your resident Sixers fan, Aswi, and joining me is, for some reason, our, a Knicks fan, AC. Long-suffering and proud of it. How you doing, Aswi? I'm good, I'm good. Coming all the way from the frozen wasteland itself, Pickering, Ontario, we have Anushan. Yo, what's up, guys? Some of you may not know, but it's obvious. I'm a Raptors fan. Go Raps. <laughs> oh, God. And then... We have the man who cannot dedicate his heart to one team, but he solely dedicates his heart to one player, and that is LeBron James. Joining us today is Eric. Yo, yo, yo. My papa was a Rolling Stone, and so am I. (laughs) (laughs) So, guys, so far this season's been pretty awesome. I got to first say, I just saw the news. Joel Embiid is going to be gone with surgery on his meniscus. He might be taking some time off. I'm slightly depressed, but hopefully today we'll talk about something a little bit more bright, right? I don't think so, because I think we're talking about the Lakers today. (laughs) Guys, if I told you that a team went to the Western Conference Finals just last year, had by all accounts a tremendous offseason, and then even won the in-season tournament this year you'd say probably pretty good team right and let's add in the fact that they've had an mvp caliber season from anthony davis and also a throwback highly efficient offensive season from lebron james both of whom have played a vast majority of the games and yet as of today they find themselves barely hovering over 500 and in ninth place in the west what the hell is going on here guys so ac you ever saw LeBron James show that comes on HBO from time to time? It's set the in a shop. barbershop. Yeah. Yeah. So one time Drake was on the show. It was right after he got demolished by Pusha T in a, a rap battle. Right? <laughs> and and LeBron looks over at Drake and he's like, Then I tell you not to get in that battle with him. And Drake was like, Yeah, you told me. You told me. That's how I feel with that's how that's how I feel with you with Darvin Ham. I told you. <laughs> I told you what he was last year. I told you what he was in the beginning of this season. But now you've, you're finally seeing the light. He sucks. He sucks ass. Yeah, you know, I, I got to admit, I was a, a Darvin Ham apologist. I saw some of the schematic things he did last year. I thought he got a lot of flack unfairly when they had Westbrook and a very ill-fitting team. And then he turned it around, you know, post-trade deadline, and they made a run to the Western Conference Finals. So I, I was high on Darvin Ham. I was. But I'll tell you right now, Eric... I'll take John Ham over him. I'll take Mia Ham over him. I'll take Spider Ham over him. <laughs> you name it. I'll take any Ham over him. Yeah. Pork chop, I mean, pork chop. <laughs> For me, right? Like, Darvin Ham is a guy who. Imagine your employer comes to you and trains you in one specific task, okay? For the first, like, whole week that you're employed there. 
Then the next week, he just wants to ask you to do something completely different that you had no preparation for and you just got thrust into it. Will you succeed or will you fail miserably? And that's pretty much what we're seeing right now with Ham. Like, he's getting guys to play minutes that they either are not prepared for, putting them into positions where they're definitely not going to succeed. And you're seeing the results right now. He's definitely trying to do way too much. His, his schematics are all over the place, which we'll get into today. And I know that AC and Eric, you guys watch a majority of the Lakers games. So I know that you guys will have a lot to say about everything that we're going to talk about today. But I mean, that really should just be the first thing that we kind of go into. I mean, what have you guys sort of seen with the rotations, like how they've gone about it? How's Ham's mind working? Like, I mean, we only, no one knows, right? He's the classic example of a man trying to fit a square peg into a circle hole. He does it all the time. Like, like the, so the five out is actually paying dividends at this moment. It's, it's starting to, to catch on. But usually what coaches do when they're trying to implement a new system, they allow you to transition into it almost organically over time particularly teams that actually had success the year before with the same coach and similar personnel, the coaches will allow them to transition. Darvin Ham immediately implements this system early on in the season that these guys have no experience with. They don't have a track record of actual success with this system. And of course, because of that, they seeded games early on in the season. As things progress, of course, they started to do a little better. They won the in-season tournament. And then for whatever reason, Darvin Ham just sticks with these lineups that every advanced analytics says doesn't work. And, and AC can get into it even more than me. Like, he keeps playing Torian Prince up until Cam Reddish got injured. He insisted on playing him too. One guy who isn't quite a good defender, but can do catch and uh, shoot threes, who he, for whatever reason, relies on him to defend speedy guards. And the other guy who has no history of being a plus benefit as any type of offensive player, but when he's on can defend. It's just, it's mind wracking. Yeah. So there's so many levels to Ham's failure as a coach. I'm going to be honest with you. I've never seen a coach do this many things. They're so blatantly and obviously wrong, right? So let's start with the rotations. Okay. He starts the season out. Now, mind you, after the trade deadline last year, when they had Jared Vanderbilt, when they had Rui Hachimura, either of those lineups, when those guys played small forward alongside D'Lo, Austin, LeBron, and AD, the Lakers were dominant. I mean, really, like, across, it, it translated even into the playoffs, right? So coming into the season, the big debate was, is it going to be Jared Vanderbilt? Or is it going to be Rui Hachimura? Nobody had Torian Prince as the starting small forward. And there needs to be some context here. Torian Prince is somebody that... Darvin Ham had a prior relationship with as an assistant coach in Atlanta, and, and they were close apparently. And he's he's put him in this position where he it's he, he's setting him up to fail. And let's get into that a little bit more in a second. But I want to just talk about the crazy rotation itself. So he starts the season with D'Lo Austin and Torian Prince. When asked why is he playing this lineup, Ham says the goal is to maximize offense around LeBron and AD. But of course, as Eric mentions, he also changes the offensive scheme. So they go from a, a four-out system, which, you know, LeBron has played most of his career to a, a totally new offense. So, of course, the team struggles a bit on offense and is pretty miserable on defense. Then, you know, what does he do when this fails? He decides to 
bench the Lakers' third-best player, Austin Reeves, and bizarrely promotes another former player of his, Cam Reddish. Doesn't work out because Cam Reddish, for as, as good as he plays on defense, he can't shoot, he's a poor rebounder, and the starting lineup fails, and the Lakers kind of win the in-season tournament in spite of him. Now, he does contribute defensively. Reddish is particularly, you know, he gets steals. And, but, you know, then he gets hurt. But, he, you know, even the time when he was playing, quote-unquote, well, the Lakers did so much better when basically once Torian Prince and Cam Reddish were, like, off the bench. When, once they're taken off the floor, they immediately played so much better. So then, Eric, what does he do in Christmas time? Talk to me a little bit about that absurd no-point guard lineup that he pulls out, you know, out of nowhere. In, around dis- December, end of December, oh, early January. Are, are, are you talking about the infamous game against the Celtics where he just, he throws out all these, was that the forward lineup, AC? Um, yeah, so <laughs> he decides to go with a no point guard lineup. So he still keeps Cam Reddish in, still keeps Torin Prince in, but now he benches D'Lo for Jared Vanderbilt. And the funniest thing was D'Lo, the game before that was like, you know, it'd be really nice if we could see last year's starting lineup at some point. We've barely played together. So, of course, Darvin Ham sends Delos ass to the bench. <laughs> and uh, I mean, then they Cam. AC, technically, he did kind of do what Delo asked. He played Van. <laughs> he played Van, though. <laughs> yeah, he brought Van to it for, for D'Angelo Russell. Right? So, then, so then they asked they ask him, why did you change the lineup to, you know, to this weird all forward, no point guards at all lineup? And his response was, the Lakers needed to put the best defensive players around AD and LeBron. Curious, because a month before it was that he had put the best offensive players around them, <laughs> right? So, of course, this lineup is a complete and utter disaster. Meanwhile, slowly over the course of the season, Austin Reeves has... You know, kind of found a, a niche as a sixth man. You know, he struggled initially. He was playing really well. So, of course, Darvin Ham decides, Austin Reeves, you need to come back in the starting lineup. And you think, okay, maybe you'll take, you know, the struggling Prince, the injured Reddish out. No, he puts Vanderbilt back on the bench. <laughs> so now you have a lineup of Austin, Cam, and Prince next to LeBron and AD. And that's like one of the worst of the entire season. Finally, D'Angelo Russell has a meeting with... Darvin Ham, where he basically says, I'm being underutilized. So they, and at that point, Cam Reddish, by the way, was injured. So he replaces Cam Reddish with D'Angelo Russell. Torian Prince is still in the starting lineup. And <laughs> hilariously, when asked why this lineup, which by the way, is the lineup they started the season with, Ham says, they need to put the most offensive possible around LeBron and AD. <laughs> Literally the opposite of what he said a few weeks before that. <laughs> Do we not notice one commonality here with AC's recounting of the months <laughs> leading up to this disastrous outcome? What do you say, Oswee? Well, what I've noticed was as as AC started it, he progressively got louder and louder until he was <laughs> basically yelling into his mic. <laughs> so that alone, it, it, it perfectly demonstrates the... I don't know if we call it a train wreck or a shit show. That is the Lakers. Did anyone notice there was one player that consistently has minutes in this rant? There's one guy. <laughs> I mean, if I had to venture a guess, his last name is Prince, but he definitely <laughs> is not playing up to any moniker of royalty. <laughs> Torian fucking Prince, guys. Torian fucking Prince. A guy who hasn't started in five years on any other team. 
And the thing with Torian Prince is he's a guy who, in theory, could really help the Lakers, right? The problem is that he's being put in a position where he's designed to fail. They like Ham has entirely played Torian Prince this year as a small forward. And the problem is he's a terrible rebounder. You know, according to B-Ball Index, he has an F rating in defensive rebounding positioning and contested defensive rebound percentage, and also a D minus in defensive rebounds per possession. So he's an infrequent rebounder, he's a poor, poor boxing out, and he's bad at positioning. And a, the other problem is that Ham sees him for some reason as like a Scottie Pippen type, a guy who can guard anywhere on the floor. In fact, he's in the top 10 of all players in the NBA in terms of the difficulty of the matchups he's facing night to night. He's basically covering option one every single night. The problem is, though, he's just too upright and slow to guard the fast players, the lightning quick, jitterbug, point guards. And then he's also too skinny to stop the bigger, more physical players. No, and I, I totally agree with what you're saying, AC. And this is just my contention when it comes to players who are slotted into that forward position. And maybe you guys will agree with what I'm saying here. But if you are a starting small forward, you have to be a jack-of-all-trades type of player, okay? You're the guy who's like the plug-in piece. You need to be able to, one, re rebound. Rebounding is extremely important. You need to be able to defend at least a, a variety between two positions, either the small forwards or power forwards or shooting guards and small forwards, at the very least. We have to have versatile offensive game, being able to put the ball on the floor, being able to shoot, being able to create every so often, right? Now, I'm not saying Torian Prince should have this responsibility to do everything. He's not, a, he's not a LeBron type, but you need to at least have some sense of versatility. And this guy really is only able to shoot wide open jumpers, really, on offense. And on defense, he's getting torched by faster players, and he's getting completely outmuscled by the bigger guys. He just has nowhere to slot himself into. I completely agree with you, Anushan. I understand the importance of a verse, having a versatile small forward. In fact, back in my career, back in NBA 2K14, as the small forward of my team, they called me, they called me Rayman, you know. <laughs> you know, I, I was a jack of all trades, you know. I, I guarded the number one option. I was so good that I replaced Clay Thompson back then in 2K14. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was good times, you know. So I agree with you 100%. I'm just learning about this 2K14 stuff from Oswe, and I'm still just like, <laughs> <laughs> Every time it's mentioned, I'm just like, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> it, 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 speaks, it speaks volumes to me as a, as a 2K, yes. 2K head. So yeah. I, I know what you're saying, Asui. Yeah, a league MVP, uh, finals MVP, you know, back in the day. <laughs> Retired now, though, yeah. <laughs> Getting back to actual small forwards who unfortunately play that position for the Los Angeles Lakers. You guys want to know a bizarre statistic? In their five years together... The three worst lineups next to LeBron and Anthony Davis all have Torian Prince at small forward. In other words, these lineups with Torian Prince at small forward are worse than any of the lineups with Russell Westbrook. Like, that's the level of lack of athleticism, point of attack, defense, or anything. It doesn't matter what the combination of guards are. In fact, in general, you can look at this and say, there's... Five years of evidence that if you put LeBron and AD with forwards or other bigs, they succeed. If you put them with three guards, they fail. But somehow, AC, you and I were banking on the Lakers losing 
to the Celtics and the Knicks. And somehow, like Mr. Magoo, Darvin Ham gets these huge wins. So they're not going to fire him. He's going to be here for the duration of the season, just messing up stuff. Great. That's amazing news to hear. I'm all about it. So How is that uh, amazing news? You're a LeBron fan. That doesn't even make sense. It it is precisely because I'm a LeBron fan that I'm rooting for this. Yes. Does this mean my favorite player's season will be tanked despite him being at the height of his powers? Sure. But does it mean that the possibility of him coming to Philly may exist then? Hell yes. I'm I'm all for it, man. So yes, Darvin Ham, praise be, keep doing you. I support you wholeheartedly. You guys know what Ham reminds me of? And even for other former NBA players turned coaches, I feel like they all have this idea about the way basketball should be played to them, right? That, that doesn't follow any sort of advanced statistics or nothing like that. It's just their own personal thought processes. And the guy that comes to mind that, really emphasized this whole idea of just doing whatever the hell he wanted, trying to reinvent the wheel, was Jason Kidd back when he coached the Bucks. If you guys remember, he randomly had this idea to just play Giannis at point guard, right? And just completely go out with this five-out system when they weren't really equipped to play that way. This is back when they had Eric Bledsoe, right? A guy who was a point guard who could barely shoot a wide-open jumper, right? So it's almost like these former, and Jason Kidd, mind you, and I know AC, you can definitely agree with this, great player, great basketball mind. But sometimes I think that ego gets in the way of what really they should be trying to focus on. So I don't know. Like, I mean, you guys have probably seen it with other former NBA players turned head coaches. But I mean, Darvin Ham is having his 15 minutes of fame way too long. And he's trying to run with it, doing some crazy ass shit. Yeah, I think you got a point there. I think that's a a theory that has legs on it because I also noticed that oddly enough back in the day with Vinny Del Negro. So yeah, I I think you might have a point there. Yeah. I know you mentioned before that Darvin Ham implemented a five out offense this season. What does a five out offense do? And why is that a challenge to adapt to? Well, I feel like nowadays you definitely see more five out. And I mean, it's in the name, right? You have five guys out on the perimeter with usually your main ball handler. In this case, for the Lakers, it's LeBron James. Usually it's to create a lot of isolation opportunity. And once the help comes in, you just pass out to the open guys out on the perimeter. Or they play with motion and they make cuts to the basket and they're able to to score that way. It's a lot of one-on-one coverages. But the way that five out actually works is that you can't just have a bunch of guys standing out on the perimeter because of the obvious defensive adjustments a team's going to make. One, you'll have guys who are just in stunting position, stunting effectively meaning in dig position, able to collapse on the the drive. So if you're just standing on the perimeter, it's easy for them to show and then recover back out to the open man. So this is why in this situation, they need a lot more motion. They need a lot more action coming in from all the players who don't have the ball. But early on in the Lakers season, when it came to the five out, they were really just stagnant, not really utilizing a lot of their strengths. And a big part of their offense, and I mean, on the team in general, is Anthony Davis, a guy who, in theory, you want around the basket because one, he's a fantastic lob threat, fantastic offensive rebounder. And he's a variable scorer. Like, he's not just the inside stuff. I mean, if you put him on the low block, he has the opportunity to score down there as well. 
So if you're taking away from arguably the Lakers' best players' strengths, you're not doing yourself any favor. So in other words, you're saying that he was trying to fit a square peg into a circle hole. <laughs> As you say, Eric, exactly. And there has been progress, as Eric mentioned, in the five-out over the course of the season. You're seeing better ball boom. You're seeing more second-side action. But absolutely early on, it was like they were running this thing in scheme and in concept, but not actually doing any of the things that a five-out offense does. If you look at the teams that run five-out offenses in the NBA, you think Golden State, you think Denver, Miami. These teams are amongst the league leaders in passes per game. The Lakers for most of the season, have been at the very bottom. Now, in the last few weeks, we've seen an uptick in that. and you, You've actually seen the Lakers now, if you just take the last month or so, have become a much better offensive team in part because they're actually starting to implement their schemes. But then there's still this larger question that you brought up there, Anu, which is, is this even the right scheme for these guys, given that LeBron James has played his whole career one way and had a lot of success doing that? I, I just wonder if this is even necessary. And to go even further with that, AC, when you think about a five-out offense in its entirety, right, you need to have one player who's an extraordinarily good isolation player, right? Think about James Harden back with the Rockets, right? I mean, and on top of that, not just having the isolation player, you need to have four guys who are elite of elite shooters, right? Being ready for that catch-and-shoot opportunity once the help collapses, right? The Lakers don't have those kind of guys on the roster it's just that simple so instead of trying to reinvent the wheel that darvin ham's trying to do i don't understand why he won't just put his guys in positions to succeed this, this offense is not made and the players are not made to play in a five out it's just that simple and that's only the offensive side because i'm here to tell you guys this man has changed the defensive scheme three times and played three entirely different ways. At the start of this season, the Lakers played a lot of drop, right? Which, you know, is kind of what they did in the past, at least in the regular season. And then, around the time of the in-season tournament, you saw the Lakers do an aggressive trap. It's actually a huge reason they were able to beat teams like Indiana. They trapped Halliburton, and then they rotated behind. And I, even then, when, this, when that was happening, I thought to, you know, I said this to Eric, that there's no way that the Lakers could sustain that style of play. It's, it's very demanding to play a trap full-time. And so then somewhere around January, they went to a switching scheme, which is like three totally different ways to play defense. And then their changeup, if one of these things does not work, is a zone, which is like a very passive defense. So arguably they have four different styles of defense that they've gone between, which is just not any way to build any kind of rhythm or chemistry. Listen, AC, Darvin Ham is so lucky Anthony Davis is the best defender in the world. Because if not for that one reason... And Anthony Davis is extremely versatile ability to play in multiple schemes. The Lakers would look a lot worse right now. I'm telling you, he, this man is going to kill Anthony Davis. He's already a guy riddled with injuries. And now you're asking him to do all these different things on and anchor the defense, right? I mean, it, it's ridiculous how much he's really asking out of a guy who... Quite frankly, we don't know how much his body can really take at this point. He's, he's the paper man, right? So it's it's crazy. Apart from incompetence, there's also like a stubbornness and arrogance to Darvin Ham. The media now is on to him, right? They see that he's an emperor with no clothes. And they're asking questions. They're pointing lineup data out that he's not able to respond to. And in fact, is blatantly avoiding answering questions. So he's saying things like, like they ask about why they don't play Jared Vanderbilt. 
You know, a guy who all the lineup show, like, if you put him with any combination of Anthony Davis and LeBron James, the Lakers are good. And his response is like, oh, I just want to drink wine today. I don't want to answer the lineup question. Or, oh, Jerry Vanderbilt was hurt all season. And they're like, well, he's healthy now. And then he's like, oh, I'm not going to answer this question. It's, it's actually ridiculous. Like, he's – and at one point he even pretended that he was going to start and told the media and then didn't start him just to fuck with them. Like, I, how is this happening? It's like, he's, like, literally trolling the media. And literally try to say that he misheard what the question was, even though the question was very plainly stated. He just likes fucking with people, honestly. It's kind of funny if you're a troll. <laughs> it really goes back to what I kind of mentioned earlier about these players, former NBA players turned coaches having this ego, right? I mean, to him, he probably thinks, oh, I was a player. I know basketball. I know exactly what I'm doing. You guys are just media. None of you have even touched a basketball. But that's the most absurd way to look at, you know, talking about the schematics and, you know, the NBA in general, right? We are, the four of us at the very least, we're viewers who are diehard NBA fans, right? So the, the fact that you could, like, even say just because, I mean, we, we all have played some level of basketball before in the past, right? But just to go out in that kind of manner and say, like, okay, like, you guys really don't know what you're talking about. I was a player. It really shows his level of maturity. Yeah, the, the one thing that I always find funny, because now, you know, every player has a podcast now, right? So everybody's talking. And the one thing people, I, I find NBA players always saying is like, well, these guys have never, you know, stepped foot on the court in, in the league, right? So how would they know? Well, there are many things, like I know a lot about music, but I'm not a great musician, you know, like, you can know things without having the ability to do things. I mean, Greg Popovich is a great basketball mind. Pat Riley is a great basketball mind. Now, both of them did play at a high level, right? But they weren't all-time great players. But are you going to take that away from them? You know, that it's it's a very reductive way of looking at things. I mean, Bill Belichick, like, has he ever played football? But he's unquestionably the best coach ever, right? It's like, that's just such a weak point. That it's a lazy point. I can't believe somebody's seriously making these boneheaded decisions and thinking, yeah, this is a good idea. Like, I, I feel like there's a, you know, Ashton Kutcher is hiding around the corner somewhere, like about to punk us, you know, like if it is intentional, then yeah, that's the height of arrogance. I don't, I don't know how to describe it any other way. My issue <clears throat> with him is that even when it seems like he's on a precipice or ultimate failure where we can get rid of him, he somehow because of serendipity or just like some weird fortuitous luck that I don't quite understand. He fails into success. It's inexplicable. <laughs> and I think he's lost buying with the players. I mean, you see this blatantly with Austin Reeves this season, going from a, a guy who I thought played really hard his first two seasons to not quite playing that hard this year. You see it from guys publicly complaining about, their minutes, you see from agents of players saying that their guys aren't getting minutes on the Lakers. You see it from comments by guys like Anthony Davis saying that's a coaching decision about lineups. You see it from LeBron James tweeting out an hourglass and giving Darwin Ham a not-so-subtle side-eye. Yeah, I was just about to say, I mean, the hourglass thing is just an iconic cryptic LeBron thing to do. Yeah. He's uh counting down the the minutes on his watch, just waiting, waiting, <laughs> seeing what's gonna happen. And you know when LeBron's in that mindset, you know that shit is fucked up right now. Yeah. 
But hey, at least the good thing is he's not forcing his way out. Rich Paul confirmed that they're not asking for a trade. I just wish that the Lakers could have had the balls of the Bucks and get rid of their coach. And they have much more reason to get rid of their coach than the Bucks had with Adrian Griffin, who actually had his team in the one seed. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point, Eric. And again, the Bucks at the time were 30 and 13 when this happened. And by all accounts, you could easily say, oh, Griffin was doing a great job with them, considering the early struggles that was going on. But I mean, that's something that we have to talk about. Like, I mean, we know that there was a lot of issues internally going on with the Bucks organization that were made public and made aware. So, I mean, AC, like you're someone who also followed them pretty frequently. So what is, was the things that you saw? Well, I think the Bucks are an example of a team that looked at process over results. Because like you said, they had a winning record. But a lot of that was based upon Giannis playing at an absurd level and then Lillard bailing them out of a couple of close games late. If you look deeper than that, their defense was still terrible. 23rd in the league at the time of Griffin's firing. For a team that employs Brooke Lopez and Giannis Antetokounmpo, that's pretty bad. And then you go beyond that and you look at just a general sense of discontent. There's been reports all season long that Giannis has flat out been undermining the coach. He hasn't been sitting in the huddles with the team. He's kind of walked off and you know, kind of shrugged off Adrian Griffin a couple of times. And then that's even after the whole Terry Stotts situation, which I know, Eric, you had some thoughts about that. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, us guys, we were speaking about this earlier in the season, right before the season started, and he got in a dust-up with Terry Stotts, who it came out that Griffin felt that he was being undermined by Stotts, which Stotts had a pretty successful head coaching career. He had a prior relationship with Damian Lillard because he was his coach in Portland. and. I guess for whatever reason, he just felt that this guy was here to undermine him. And it just looked as if with that instance and Stott's very quick like resignation that the writing was on the wall, that he wasn't going to be there very long before the season had even commenced, which was, it was kind of crazy. But that being said, it was also like crazy that the Bucks actually pulled the trigger on a coach that was 30 and 13. And I think with Adrian Griffin, right early on, he tried to get Brooke Lopez to come up to the level of screen on various things, whether it's flat out switching or me hard hedging and recovering. And five games into the season, there was a whole story where the Bucks met with the coaching staff and said, we need Brooke Lopez to play a drop. He almost went defensive player of the year just last season doing that. So they changed that to Griffin's credit. Griffin said, you know, I can make a mistake too. And yet he still has been doing some weird stuff where it's like Brooke Lopez will drop, but Giannis or Portis, they'll switch or they'll trap or they'll hard hedge and recover. And there's nothing quite consistent that's going on there. So I think there is room for improvement on the defensive side. And ultimately, no matter how good of a job Adrian Griffin is potentially doing or, or could do or what he could grow into, if the team doesn't buy in, it's kind of pointless. You know, the irony of Griffin feeling that Terry Stotts was there to undermine him, he didn't actually see the snake in the grass. It was, of course, (laughs) as Oswe likes to call him, Glenn Rivers, who has a history of perpetually failing upwards. (laughs) By the way, Glenn slash Doc Rivers, who was brought in as an advisor to 
Adrian Griffin and who Adrian Griffin actually considered a friend. Some of the other <laughs> advised so well that he was brought in as the replacement. <laughs> so ridiculous. <laughs> oh you can't write a better script, honestly. <laughs> uh, it felt like Christmas morning when I heard that Glenn Rivers would be the next head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, <laughs> I mean, damn. Is he still on our payroll or something? Like, he could be like a double agent. You know, bring that team down while we, well, hopefully rise up, you know? Oh, my and, God. Uh, for, for those of you who don't know, Uswe is our resident Sixers fan, so he has a deal with a lot of Doc Rivers bullshit oh, for years yeah. and years. <laughs> so if anyone I, would know, he would know. Yeah, but, you know, we may have had the Doc, but now we have the nurse, and I feel a lot healthier <laughs> now. So. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> I, I mean, I got a theory that Glenn Rivers is actually Littlefinger, guys. <laughs> Why? What? He's Littlefinger. Like, remember when Littlefinger stabs Ned Stark in the back and he's like, you shouldn't trust me? That's what yeah. he just did to David Griffin. Not David Griffin, but Coach Adrian Griffin. Adrian Griffin. Yeah, I just don't understand how you see these, you know, consecutive flameouts of this guy. And here you have this otherworldly talent in Giannis. And then you you make a big move. You get Dame. You finally have the guys. Now, Middleton has been up and down with injuries, but assume he's healthy for the playoffs. That's a great three-pronged attack right there, right? And who do you have? <laughs> who do you have <laughs> lead you into battle? Oh, man. We might as well just give it to the Celtics or the Heat at this point. Like, if, if it beats <laughs> down, Glenn Rivers is going to flame out the Bucks in, in, in a glorious way. And the question is, he signed, like, what, like a 5 year deal or something like that? You actually think he's going to play it out? Because I would be shocked. I know what you got. It's interesting because you were mentioning some of the players that the uh, the Bucks have on this roster. And I, I agree. Like, even if you don't talk about their main big three guys, one, we spoke about Lopez. Lopez is an excellent rim protector. Like, he he only really plays one coverage, but does he play that coverage magnificently? Then you have another guy in Bobby Porter's crazy eyes. Like the minute this guy gets onto the floor, I mean, he's rebounding almost everything that you can imagine. He's a floor spacer and they have like a good, good group of guys on this roster. So it'd be a shame if Glenn found a way to fuck everything up, which I'm sure come playoff time, he'll, he'll manage somehow. And just so we have the record straight. Okay. This is the man who owns the most number of blown three, one series. The most game sevens, you know, he is 17 and 33. That's 34% in games clinching a playoff series. That is pathetic. That is terrible. And schematics aside, there's just like game management that just makes no sense that he just seems to lack. And let me give you a perfect example of this. All right. Last Wednesday against the Blazers, the Bucks were down 117 to 116 with 17 seconds left. Somehow, the play ends up being Brooke Lopez does a step-back jumper, which, of course, is just miss. <laughs> then Jeremy Grant gets the rebound. He's fouled. He makes both shots. Great. Now the Bucks are down 119 to 116 with 4.1 seconds left. 
But hey, Dame time, right? They have Dave. So that's exactly why you bring this guy here. So what did Glenn have Dame do? He had Dave yeah. inbound the ball to Giannis. So naturally, the Blazers hacked Giannis. Giannis went to the line, made one, missed the other. Bucks lose the game. <laughs> that's the guy. That's the horse they hitched uh, their wagon to. Good luck, Milwaukee. Come on, man. <laughs> I mean, these guys had a mutiny. They had a mutiny. And they decided to promote the greatest playoff choker amongst coaches in NBA history. And now, let me be very clear. He's definitely an accomplished and experienced coach. He might even be an upgrade in some ways over Adrian Griffin in the sense that at least his teams, for 16 straight seasons, he's had a winning record. And even if you look at his years after the 2008 championship, his teams have consistently been in the top 10 in net rating. But even with that, he has the most Game 7 loss in history with 10 separate Game 7s lost. On three separate occasions where his team was up 3-1, they blew the series. On four separate occasions when his team was up 3-2, they wound up losing the series. And true to form, so far, they're 1-3 in his game so far as head coach as of the time of this recording. Okay. what I need to ask you guys this question. What do you guys think Darvin Ham, Adrian Griffin, and Doc Rivers all have in common is? They suck. That's true, but they're all former NBA players turned head coaches. And <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. Is, I'm telling you guys, like, there's just something about the ego of these mm -hmm. former players. I, I don't know what it is. They just come up with the most boneheaded things you'll ever imagine. And uh, to Griffin's credit, right, I think he more so lost the players internally with some of the things he was saying and, and doing. Decisions he was like kind of fixing around, and I mean, we've seen it, him making adjustments. But like AC alluded to, a lot of their wins really came off of the fantastic performances by Giannis in particular. And once Dame started picking it up, he started making some really big plays down the stretch of a lot of close games. So, I even though the record is great, I don't think it's actually indicative of all the struggles that they've really gone through up to this point. What's the over-under of Glenn losing a series while up 3-1 in the next two seasons? <laughs> I mean, we have to say that there are at least two coaches in the East that they might have to face who are flat out better than Doc Rivers, And that is, as we mentioned, is his guy Nick Nurse and Eric Spolster. I mean, those two guys are just, there's several tiers above Doc Rivers. And Lapino Jackson! <laughs> yeah, Phil Pino Jackson. I love that name. Yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> the, the other problem is, guys, this is not a coach. Like, this, sorry, this is not a team that you can just automatically coach to victory. Now, they have talent, as Anu alluded to, but they have real problems with this roster. Primarily, you know, they traded away Drew Holiday, who was this all world defender who could guard any sort of one, two, or even three that the other team had. And they replaced him with Damian Lillard, one of the worst point guard defenders. And then Malik Beasley is the other guard. And I know Eric has plenty of experience watching Malik Beasley for the Lakers last season. He's literally a sieve. And this year, per B-Ball Index, Beasley is in the 95th percentile in terms of difficulty of his matchups. So they're putting him on the hardest players around the league because they have no one else to guard them. And he doesn't even move sometimes in one-on-one -on -one situations. Like he gets blown by. And I don't see a good solution for this 
I think it's the kind of thing that a really good coach could potentially paper over. But I don't know if Doc Rivers is the guy to think creatively or outside the box in the way that we've seen a Nick Nurse do in the past with limited defensive personnel. I've never seen any coach be able to account for two sieves as your guards. That's <laughs> That just doesn't happen. Like, even the greatest defensive minds in the league right now, like Frank Vogel is a great defensive mind. He could not do anything. We saw it. Russell Westbrook, who would, when Russell Westbrook was there, he couldn't do anything with him defensively. So I, I don't see how any coach could actually, like, make amends for this. I mean, just to encapsulate just how bad of a defender Malik Beasley is, I, I don't know if you guys have seen this clip. It was a little while ago, and I believe it was with the Indiana Pacers and Tyrese Halliburton. Tyrese pointed at the ground to signal for a screen that never actually came. So because of the way that they they do their defense with the drop, Beasley just let Halliburton drive and didn't even bother to look around to have any awareness to see what was happening. And the dude just drove right past him and got a layup. It's ridiculous. Like, one, it's also feeding into the scheme that they're playing. So he's not even really that aware. He's like, oh, Brooks got my back anyway. But it's it's the lack of even bothering to move and, like, see what's happening around him. Like, you cannot play basketball that way, especially if you're supposed to be the point of attack of defender. Yeah, honestly, when I look at this Bucks team, I I mean, throughout the NBA era, I've always wanted us to the, the Sixers to match up against the Bucks, I always thought, even with the Ben Simmons Sixers, I thought we'd still match up well against them. But now it feels that much more perfect for us. I mean, coach aside, although, good Lord, the revenge we would get if we knock out Glenn. Oh, my God. But that aside, right, just think about matchup-wise. We have length and strength to deal with Giannis, I mean, as well as anybody can deal with Giannis, right? We have Maxi and Melton. Melton can do a serviceable job, as serviceable job as someone can do on Dame, okay? And Tyrese Maxi is going to cook Beasley and Dame. It's just going to be a bloodbath. I think we could legitimately beat these guys. I think we match up perfectly against them. You mean you all have length and size when Joel and B comes back next year, right? No, 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 no. Oh, no. Listen, listen. <laughs> per the, it remains to be seen the extent of what the recovery process will be like, right? Now, obviously, if we have Joel Embiid in 100% strength, which we won't get, but if we did, there's no question we'd, we'd cook the Bucks. All respect to the Bucks. I'm not trying to disrespect them when I say that, but I just legitimately think that we have the better team, we have the better coach, we generally have the better roster, though they have con- continuity that we may not, we can beat them. Now, I still think that the matchup's in our favor, even with Embiid at, let's say, 60%, but it remains to be seen. Let's also see how the trade deadline goes. I think we could beat them. AC, what do you got? Well, I just want to get your thoughts about one thing, Oswe, because there is one thing that they have that you do not. They have the official Eastern Conference <laughs> All-Star coach Doc Rivers with his one and three record. <laughs> this, Dude, I'm telling you, this is, it can't be written any better. It's like a meme, and it's just a joke that keeps on getting better the more you tell it. Talk about falling ass upwards, right? Like, how do you how do you blow a three-one lead and like embarrass yourself so much with the Clippers, then immediately get hired by the Sixers? 
basically do the same thing in, in your couple years there, and then go to another place and get a job, and then be the all-star. He, he is like, he is the prime example of falling ass upwards. It's remarkable. But I will say, to his credit, he did handle it with class. He thought it was a ridiculous thing to be even named that given, well, aside from the fact he's one and three with the Bucks, but he, he just joined there. I would have loved Nick Nurse to have been the, the coach, though. That, that's for sure. I'm disappointed in Littlefinger. He needs to, like, own it. He needs to take the job. He needs to reap the spoils of, of what Griffin did earlier in the season. And he needs to take the money. He's talking about giving a guy money. No, I'll take that money. Exactly what he said. <laughs> <laughs> the quote is incredible. So I'll read you the quote because it's hilarious. That is ridiculously bad. It really is. Well, Adrian's going to get some money, that's for sure. And a ring. <laughs> he just throws that in there. Like, is this guy going to get a ring? <laughs> wait, well, well, do, wait, wait, hold on. Do they give out rings for All-Star Game now? I know they've been giving out rings a lot more for a lot of different things. So it could be the All-Star ring. I don't think he meant to imply the championship ring. Even he's not that dumb. I was curious, you know, Glenn Rivers being an, you know one of the top 15 coaches of all time, I was curious how many times he's been the head coach of the All-Star game. Now, that is saying that you are the head coach of the team that is either the best or second best in your conference. So a good winning team, right? This is Doc <clears throat> Glenn Rivers' fourth, fourth time. Now he joins Greg Popovich, Phil Jackson, Billy Cunningham, George Carl, actually good coaches. And now he he joins their, their ranks. He's past Rick Adelman, AC, our boy, because now he gets this. And this is something that's going to be on his resume forever, that he was all-star game head coach for a fourth time. Wow. I don't know, Talk man. I think, undeserved. I, I think George Carl got some of the same issues Doc does, but you're going for sure. Remains, though. For, sure. for sure. For another time. Oh, my yeah. gosh. <laughs> And, and, and he's got some issues that Doc Rivers doesn't have too. But it's we'll, <laughs> about another day. Yeah, yeah, amen we, to that. Amen. We to can that. do that George Carl asshole pod some other time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's a great place to stop for today, gentlemen. Thank you for joining, you guys. To everyone out there, we hope you had a blast. Our podcast is a lot of fun. We'll talk about everything from the X's and O's on the court. To the latest news, to fashion, to, you know, sometimes Eric and I like to get creative with it. We'll, you know, we'll compare presidents and NBA history. It, it, we get weird with it. We're nerds and we're nerdy about basketball. So thank you for joining us and we'll catch you in the next one. Peace. Later, y'all. Deuces.